I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong. Where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Well, hello, hello, wherever you are in the world, and welcome back to another week of the First Gen Lounge. Really excited as I always am, aren't I? I love being here, though. I love being here. But we have a really amazing guest today. All the guests who come on, y'all know are amazing because the stories are so powerful and, and what we'll learn from all of them is really amazing. But this one, I'm really excited to tell y'all about. Well, actually, he's going to tell you about. I have James Stoops today from Sumner, South Carolina. Hey, James. Hey, Dr. Eve, how are you today? I am well, and I am glad. Look, we, y'all, we met somewhere on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where we started with it, but we have definitely become, you know, great, I want to say, compadres in education. And James, you're really awesome. Like, you're really awesome. Very supportive and does really amazing work. But James, tell the people who you are and and how you are and all that good stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, My name is James Dukes. I am from Sumter, South Carolina. I am a father. I'm a husband. I'm a a first-gen graduate, all the above. I'm a man of black and old gold, AFIA, representing. And I currently work in higher ed and work primarily with marginalized groups, first generation specifically. Love that. Um, Love that. Love that. So, you Greek. Let's go for that. Cool. And that's funny, y'all, because my husband is a, an alpha named James, which we just talked about. Um, so it's kind of <laughs> like, when I saw this, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, so this is, this is really cool, actually. Really, really cool. And so first generation college student, but something about your story, you know, we're going to rewind for a little bit, is that you were non-traditional as well, right? Yes, I was. Yeah, what happened? You graduated from school and didn't go immediately. Tell us that part of your story. I'd love to dig in. Well, um, you know, grew up in a household that was working class. My father was a carpenter. He died earlier before I was able to go to high school. And my mom, she was working class as well. So me going into the working class was almost, that path was kind of laid out. The push to go to college wasn't necessarily there. And I was fine with that. So after high school, I you know immediately went into the you know the working class. You know I worked as a worked at a tool manufacturer for five years and was a brick mason and a brick laborer on the construction sites for a couple years after that as well. Before even pursuing or even applying to a four year college. Hmm. And it was really interesting because you sat at school for how long? Oh wow. You got me doing math this morning. Let me see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's too early. It's too early. <laughs> seven years. Seven years. Seven years. Seven yep. years. That's really. And you know, you would think, you know, you hear seven years and some people like at, at the seven year mark, I mean, thinking like later on, I'm just one, not going to do it. Or, you know, maybe I'll just do something else and it's too late. But for you, you were like, no, nah, I'm going to do this yeah. so much that something is happening this fall. What's that? Uh, this fall, I'm. Hopefully, knock on wood, 
praises up. Uh, me graduating, finishing the, my doctoral program mm. is a educational leadership policy and analysis with my um, topic being black first generation college students who have attended PWIs and their experiences with imposter syndrome and code switching. So mm, mm. that's going to be good. I can't wait to read that. You know, it's going to be published public right so yeah you can't hide that one buddy can't hide that one but yeah so interesting stayed out of school for seven years went back to school and didn't just go back to school kept going to school like i'm gonna go all the way and even now about to finish a doctorate a husband uh you know a dad you are a leader like wow so your life you know from thinking about it from being a machine operator for two manufacturing company to all of this, right? The journey there to me that's of hope because some people just kind of get lost by the wayside and they kind of be like, well, this just is what it is. There's nothing more for me. So just curious to know though, for you thinking about again, being an adult and being even non-traditional when you went back to school and now navigating, what was your motivation? Um, And and at first I didn't have any motivation. My sister who, uh, went to college before I did and she was a teacher. She started out as a teacher and even when I was working at the tool manufacturing facility, I was making more money than, than she was with a college degree. Hmm. Uh, so I definitely and she probably get mad if I told you this I would give her money you know, to help her so you know definitely <laughs> didn't, didn't seem the need to go to college if I was you know doing pretty well especially at a young age hmm. but I've always had a love for Academics, not necessarily STEM, but definitely had a love for history and uh, sociology and getting to know different, uh, you know, different communities, et cetera. So that passion and love was always there. And, uh, and the opportunity arose for me to apply to a four-year institution. And if I knocked it down several times and then I decided just to take a chance. You know, I, I think a part of it was I'm, I'm trying to you aggravate me. I'll apply, and this is what I, this is my mindset. I will apply, and if I don't get in, don't bother me anymore. And I was, <laughs> <laughs> and I was sure I wasn't going to get in. So that's, that's the only reason I made that. You know, I put that out there. I, I knew I wasn't going to get wow. in. And and even when I got the acceptance letter, I still didn't know how to interpret it. I was like, "What am I accepted or am I not?" And hmm. you know found out I was accepted and and even still there was some hesitation but at the time I was my girlfriend fiance then my wife now we had a child so I knew I wanted my oldest child to to go to college and I figured the best way to get him to go to college was not just to tell him but to show him so that was that was part of my main motivation to you know agreeing you know telling myself that I can do this and to give it a shot what I have to lose so it it was definitely difficult I, I did quit my job you know where I was making pretty good money and that was definitely hard you know being unemployed you know had to take all that into consideration so but it all you know worked out for the best so mm, I do so <laughs> thinking about that you said you know you left that money because it's like thinking about it, like you got good oh, money man. you know a lot of people they gotta make this money gotta make this money mm-hmm. what was that for you to transition to going to school and how were you able to even just kind of survive that time on, and to make the most of it considering that you were no longer as financially stable as you were once before well I had a couple months to kind of prepare so you know I, in that time I paid off my vehicle I had a, a truck a car payment so I paid off my vehicle 
kind of took, I didn't have a whole lot of debt, so that was fine. But nonetheless, it was still difficult not not be able to get a paycheck every week. Back then, I was getting paid every week. So when I transitioned, you know, to Tennessee, where I, where I attended for my bachelor's degree, and and granted, I attended this university was almost sight unseen. I've seen the campus from the street, but actually never really, you know, did a college tour or anything like that. So it was definitely difficult the first couple of months. You know, that pride, you know, I had a, had a strong sense of pride and and not getting a paycheck. So I, it was actually kind of funny. I'm, I'm an introvert. So I started in fall of 2005, August and October. I couldn't take it anymore. So I applied for a job at a call center. And that was probably the worst experience I've, I've had in, you know, <laughs> work-wise, just calling people and answering the phones and, you know, trying to get them to buy. I think at the time it was boats. You know, at that time, I've never even ridden on a boat before. So I'm trying to sell a boat to people. And I, I lasted two weeks and I, I couldn't take it. And I left. But I did get a paycheck. I, I got paid for two weeks. So I felt a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. it time took some of the edge off. <laughs> Look, that was a good thing. And at the very least, you had a little stuff going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, that, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so then thinking that you go from, you know, again, making this good money to going to school to where now it's time for you to choose a career. How do you navigate that? How did you navigate just figuring out, like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And what's even good money now? What was that like? Because I'm pretty sure that was quite the venture, especially with you having landed in education. Like I said, I always had a love for history. So even when, you know, at orientation, I didn't want to go in as undecided. So it was between history and psychology. So I chose history and said, OK, I, I want to be a history teacher. And that in high school, my history teacher, that class was, you know, just a delight to go to. Yeah, I had a great history teacher, too. Yeah, it was like, you know, I I passed all the, I made A's on all the tests without, with little effort, just because the information just kind of came natural. So I said, I want to do that. I want to, I want to be that for the next generation. So I want to be, I'm going to be a history teacher. And, and granted, you know, I heard about, you know, teachers don't make a lot of money, you know, all that was kind of playing, played a role. But, you know, I wanted to be in a career that would be impactful, so to speak. So, yeah, all that just kind of culminated and yeah just you know imagining myself being in in front of a class in front of young minds and being able to shape and mold those minds was you know was something that I kind of held to myself that that I could do this so I think that's really important to note because we think about what our lives look like and we think about things especially like our careers and to make good money or to do something meaningful and it sounds to me like something meaningful meant more to you because the money would come. Now, what it would look like, probably not the same, but knowing that you're getting up in the morning and appreciating and enjoying what you're doing mm-hmm. makes a difference. Yes, most definitely. I was fortunate enough to, after I quit the, the call center in October, that early spring, I was presented with the opportunity on campus to work federal work study and, and not having any idea what federal work study was, but I knew it, it was a paycheck. So I immediately jumped on it. And the office I worked in on campus was a office geared towards working with adult learners. So students that came in that office were primarily 25 and up and or and were parents or working full time. So that was me. So I felt comfortable in that role and in that job. And I worked in that in that office throughout the rest of my undergraduate career and eventually was able to get hired on contract. I worked federal work study that first spring semester, but by the summer I was on contract 
with the college as an employee and I was able to get my out-of-state tuition fees waived and that was you know that was great so yeah all, everything just kind of came that's really cool that everything kind of came but it's also you positioning yourself as well yes yes most definitely so just thinking about your path now and just again navigating this thing called adulthood figuring things out, you know, as a first-generation college graduate, what are some of the things that you've learned or you've had to navigate that have been challenging, but you've taken a big lesson from it? I would definitely say I've had to push myself. And being first-gen, I didn't know I was first-gen until grad school um, when I was pursuing my master's degree. And and the, the, termino- the, term- yeah, the terminology came up. And, you know, all before, you know, my sister, my older sister, she went to... Um, college and so I assumed that I wasn't first gen you know she went so I'm not the first in the family but you know I got to learn more about the literature and realize okay I am first gen because I always identify myself as being an adult learner that was my identity so I was I was actually happy to kind of be able to associate that identity with some of the things I had experienced while an undergrad I was able to kind of put a a label to it okay so I'm first gen and I experienced a lot of these, I won't say hiccups, but, you know, barriers to, you know, the social barriers, the imposter syndrome and a plethora of other things that initially I internalized as being something being wrong with me. But I was able to add context to it and, and I was able to push myself and rise above all that, so to speak. Mm, yeah, I can appreciate that. And then thinking of it up to from like being a perspective of a black man, because I you know I, I love it, especially when I have black men on the show. Because of those, again, those barriers, right? Those challenges, mm-hmm. the identity, the race, the gender thing. Mm-hmm. Did you have any mentors or anybody that you were able to go to and talk to for advice or to just kind of figure out this road? Or were you really just kind of solo dolo? I was kind of solo dolo. And that and, and that was all my fault because I really, growing up, you know, um, seeking help was something that was sort of frowned upon. And even even now, as an adult, you know, that's seeking help is not my first go to. I do know how to seek help now, but definitely in undergrad, I was able to find up several mentors, and many of those mentors were were women, women of all colors uh, and all races. Mm-hmm. Being where I was in Tennessee, there wasn't a whole lot of black males on campus, so yeah, women played a, a huge role in mentoring and encouraging and motivating me to the point where I am now. That's really interesting. And do you feel like you kind of just gravitated toward them or did they kind of just kind of pull you and like, come here, boy? (laughs) I did have one. I remember her name, Dr. Whitson. She was a criminal justice professor. Now, she was definitely, she and I did not click at first. And eventually, you know, she and I had this great relationship and she was that person like, come here, boy. And um, and I needed that, you know, even in my older age, you know, adult age, I found that I still needed that. So she was a great motivator, great encourager and just a great example for me to follow. So, yeah, Dr. Whitson was definitely influential in that role. But, you know, other folks as well in regards and the mentoring kind of came not in a broad sense. Like I, uh, one mentor was able to propel me and think about my writing skills and the, to promote and push those and, and, and increase that. Mm-hmm. Now, so that, you know, it worked in that different pocket. And even when I was taking some of my classes, education classes were at night, 
you know, I had a mentor who was also a mentor, but also served as a babysitter, you know, I had a night class. So, you know, hmm, yeah. Wow. yeah, so it was, you know, definitely one thing I, I will always tell students, you know, even students I work with today, no one does it alone. Nobody does it alone. Absolutely. So thinking about, you know, again, your, your path now and being a professional, what are some of the things that you're doing to continue to develop yourself? I am trying to, well, especially in the age of remote learning and COVID-19, I've been trying to retool and reinvent myself in regards to getting more proficient in you know, social media. I'm not a huge social media guy, but I do run several social media accounts in my current role. So I will increase my proficiency in that and meeting folks like you and other folks who are in this field and doing this work in regards to the first gen success. Yeah, attending conferences. I even started watching a few sign language videos on YouTube to try to be, want to become you know, bilingual. So, mm. yeah, so it, and it's, it's broad, you know, like the sky's the limit. Uh, now, a lot of my work deals with anti-racism. So, you know, that educational piece, you know, for me, even just being as a black male, you know, I, there's, there are things I still need to learn and things I am learning so we can all, you know, try to create a anti-racism climate and, and, and country so everyone can feel welcome and included. That's some hard work to do, would you say? Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, I have aha moments all the time. You know, I'm human. I may make a mistake. So I'm open to that. I'll be teaching a class of first year students come this fall. So, you know, that's always exciting. It puts me back in the classroom. But, you know, it's also uh, I learn from them as they learn from me. Absolutely. And then something that you touched on is again, just being a student and having students, but also being that you are a graduate student yourself, what are some of the things that you would suggest to someone who's currently pursuing a master's or a doctorate themselves in terms of like going to school or just thinking about getting through it and even developing research? I would definitely say the sky's the limit. I know for myself, I used to put limitations on, on what I could do and what I could achieve. And once I was able to eliminate that mindset, and those barriers, you know, mental barriers that I put in place. You know, I realized that sky's the limit. A lot of things that I have done in my life were nevers. And so I've learned to never say never because all my nevers are, <laughs> are now I'm living in my nevers. So it's kind of, so to speak. So I, I would tell students, it's you know, definitely be challenging and hard at times. Find a support system, whether that be family or friends or, you know, folks on campus or other students we all need a push every now and then we all need some encouragement absolutely love that do you have a favorite book that you're reading or anything that you enjoy you know digging into um currently unfortunately not i was telling one of my colleagues i said oh because she was explaining to me that she was reading this book and i said oh i wish i had the time where i could read leisurely and she was like no all you're reading is is for your dissertation like you can I don't currently, I do, there are some books I want to read. I have a, a bunch of books in the office. And a lot of times I, I give them to students if they see them. And the last book I remember reading fully was Rep, the late Representative John Lewis's book, Cross That Bridge and Hill Harper's The Letter to a Young Brother. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, the, the New Jim Crow, I finished that one not too long ago. I'm sitting in my office now at home and I'm looking at the Free Centoria book that I haven't read. Centoria Brown and staying from the beginning. I have that book. I haven't read. So leisure reading, I, I definitely hope to get back into that <laughs> early 2021. 
you said you was going to accept the 2020 gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2020, But what yeah. you said is just don't let it go. Just, just get to it later. <laughs> yeah, I ain't no need to fool myself up. I'm just like, yeah, 2021, because most of my reading now is, you know, scholarly articles and, you know, peer-reviewed articles and so, yeah, that and all types of other literature. But good good reading, you know, increases my, my knowledge um, on these uh, subjects and these different variables. But yeah, leisure reading, yeah, we'll, we're going to pray for 2021. <laughs> then we're going to have to. And then real quick, something I'm curious to know. What is it that actually made you want to go ahead and do research on first-gen low-income students? Because, like, why of all the things that stood out to you, was this the thing for you? That's a good question. I'll say, I'm going back to pursuing my master's degree. When I graduated, when I, I said I would never go to school and earn a bachelor's degree. I think that was something, came in if it was verbally or just something in my conscience that I said. So, you know, eventually did that. But I do remember verbally How saying. How ironic. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I do remember verbally saying, I think someone mentioned graduate school. And I was like, well, I'm going to be a teacher. I don't need a master's degree. I'm never going to graduate school to get a master's degree. And after a couple of years of teaching, I realized I, my, I think my heart was in higher ed. So, and I knew to get in higher ed, I, it, I needed a master's. So I did go back and get my master's. So that was another never that I had to chalk to the game. And then my doctorate degree, you know, that one, I didn't feel like I need to pursue a doctorate degree. And I had a couple mentors, you know, those mentors, man, <laughs> they kept saying, like, keep going, don't stop. If you stop, you know, you may never do it. You may never go back. And these are folks that already had their PhDs and doctorate degrees. So, right, right. And right. so, you know, kept going. And the more I looked at my professional career, the more I realized that I have been working with first gen students, students coming from low-income families, students of color. I've been working with those students ever since I left Sumter, South Carolina. And given that I, too, myself identified with many of those, I, I threw myself into the research, and especially in my in grad school when I learned I was first-gen. I wanted to learn more about this aggregation and not necessarily the challenges, more about the strengths and the, uh, the assets that first-gen students bring to to campuses and and their experiences and so and, and that uniqueness. So yeah, the more I learned about first gen students, the more I got it compelled to just to write. And so yeah, it's kind of kind of summed it up. And actually, I kind of dipped back and looked back at my experiences as, as undergrad. Okay, what were some challenges that I experienced? So I kind of threw. It was almost like a a pot. I was in the kitchen cooking. I saw oh, a little dabble of this in here. And I'm oh, put a little dabble of that in there. And then, you know, Sound about right, yeah. South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I do like to cook. And uh, so, and I was sprinkling, and you know, so yeah, that's how it all kind of came about. But uh, yeah, and even I say even now, you know, that those are the students that I work with. Those are students I'm. I do a lot of intrusive advising, and you know, building that trust and relationships with students are is very important to me. In regards to student success, I look at it from a holistic point of view. Yes. Not just academics. For a student to be totally successful, it, you know, you have to go beyond academics, you know, the social aspect, sense of belonging, you know, all these different variables that go into, you know, making the college experience what it is. So Absolutely. You know, because you lived it firsthand. I did. I did. I had a great undergrad experience. And, you know, and if I can help someone else have a great experience, you know, I, I, that's what I want to do. Absolutely. I've been there. 
love it. One of the things I loved absolutely the most about higher education is just being able to work with students and see them flourish and to feel like even if it was one thing, one program, one paper, any anything that I did, if it was just one thing to have made a difference, then it was all worth it. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Most definitely. I do remember like in times in undergrad, especially in freshman year, sophomore year, I, you know, I kind of hid. I didn't I went to class, I went to work, and I went home. I had a triangle. I didn't, I wasn't involved socially at all. And then my junior year, I, you know, beginning of my junior year, I realized that something was missing. Something was missing. I was doing okay academically, but something was missing. And mm. and and once I made a shift, you know, I was able to have a true college experience. And, you know, and for me being, you know, almost, you know, late 20s, almost 30, to, to be able to have that experience, you know, I'm deeply grateful for, you know, folks that have helped me along the way and and continue to push me during that time. Absolutely. So if there is, you know, look, my my favorite, my favorite question of the hour is that one piece of advice, that one thought, word of wisdom that you would leave us with to remember you by for the rest of our lives, what would that be? Never say never. You can do it. Believe in yourself. Mm, I love that. I, I love being inspired. And so, you know, never say never. It's, that's great. Well, you know, you have been awesome to have here today, James. Thank you for your time, for your wisdom, for your story, for, you know, showing up and being the example and for living your truth and for honoring all the things that make you who and what you are. I appreciate it. I do. So wishing you the best of luck in all that lies ahead. I thank you very much. I appreciate, you know, you having this platform and this space for folks like myself and other first-gen students. Really appreciate the work that you're doing and wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.